good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. I'm Anthony DeBundo, joined by BJ Cunningham. Michael Leboff is on a one, two, three Cancun trip this week. He'll be back uh, next week to join us for a full Premier League slate. We've got a shortened slate this weekend, only five matches, the second half of match week 20 in the Prem. And there are some interesting matches we need to get into, including the Arsenal title hopes dwindling as we speak. But before we get into that, remember that Wonder Goal is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. It believes that every sport should be epic. Every tournament, every game, every point, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today with the promo code ACTION. You'll get $365 in bonus bets when you bet just $1. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older and present in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms and conditions apply. BJ, BJ, BJ. Anthony, Anthony, Anthony. Since we last spoke about the Gunners, yeah, uh, they have suffered a couple of setbacks. You know, They lost to West mm. Ham. They lost to Fulham two matches where, you know, we thought they wouldn't have a ton of issues. And, uh, you know, the Arsenal style, this control-based approach kind of uh, withered a bit. And now the current title odds, courtesy of Bet365, Manchester City minus 175, Liverpool plus 250, Arsenal plus 750. I want to do, before, you know, before we get into Arsenal Palace, that's the kickoff match. 7.30 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. I want to kind of assess your current state. Mm-hmm. Is it over? Are we out of it? No, uh, of course have not. You, have you given up? Because I've spoken to some no. Arsenal fans who have kind of no. wavered on their belief in this team. I mean, here's the thing. If we go back to this bad run they've had where they drew Liverpool, lost to West Ham, just got caught on the wrong side of variance there. I would agree a bad performance at Fulham going ahead and, and not really playing well uh, with the lead there. And then in the FA Cup, they just got caught on the wrong side of variance against Liverpool where they were largely the better team for pretty much the entire match. So that really hasn't wavered my feelings about Arsenal and their title hopes. Um, it's more of a fact that, you know, we say this like every single year. It's just like it seems like once City is not like completely dominating the league, it's like it seems like they're about to go on a run, but they really are because of the return of Kevin De Bruyne, which you saw against Newcastle, is a pretty big addition uh, in the middle of the season here. He's probably their most important player, and they're getting him at uh, the right time. So I know Opta has 
City at 63% to win the title. So about, you know, minus 175 is, it's pretty fair, uh, given the current odds. And Arsenal's around 3%. So from a data perspective, yeah, it does look over. But we'll see as we go forward. Um, it doesn't look like Arsenal's going to buy a striker in January. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad they didn't because they don't need to waste the money uh, at this point. Um, it's very, very difficult at this point to to see a path, but this team can control matches. They're still an elite defensive team. They just need to figure out this offensive uh, attack and try to get teams through the middle of the pitch, which we'll talk about here in a second against Palace. Odegaard and Havertz need to go to a different level if Arsenal is going to win the title. That is what it's going to come down to. Saka and Martinelli are going to continue to get doubled out wide. Arsenal's continue to be a very good defensive team. They're going to continue to control matches, but it's going to be their ability to create chances in the middle of the pitch. And that is going to be the ultimate difference maker if Arsenal is going to challenge Liverpool and City for the title. But as it stands, it seems like City is going to go on a run here. Um, we'll see if that happens. Um, but right now from the current odds, uh, I don't think anything is really playable. Yeah, I think it's more interesting. You know, we're going to get into the Champions League. It's coming back in like two weeks, so we're gonna mm. we're gonna have a pot on that uh, in about three weeks from now, and we'll we'll discuss kind of the round of sixteen matchups, and, and maybe we'll do uh, we'll, we'll each pick a future again to ride for the each of the of the three uh, competitions in Europe. But I kind of think Arsenal, like right, right now, given the situation of some of the other top tier contenders across Europe, you know, we've seen some holes with PSG, we've seen some question marks about Real and Barca. Uh, I think both are not on the level uh, mm-hmm. of you know the Arsenal and even Liverpool. I think Ar- you know what's a better bet right now, right? If you want to bet Arsenal and you think that uh, and generally I agree. Like I don't haven't really materially downgraded Arsenal in the last two matches, three matches just because I wasn't as high on them prior and I kind of think that those matches were just what they were. Just kind of natural things that are going to happen in, in their style of play. But I think they're you know what's a better bet right now? Arsenal at plus 650 to win the Champions League. Or Arsenal at plus 750, 700 to win the league. For me, given that City and Liverpool are both, in my mind, better teams and have now have point leads, I kind of think that the better bet almost is to lean into this defense and then winning a knockout tournament. So we'll get more into mm-hmm. that in a couple of weeks. Haven't actually fired anything yet, but for me, uh, I think Arsenal is a better bet in the one off kind of tournament. Hope they get a good draw. You know, they should get through Porto and then, you know, maybe, you know, you don't know what the draw is going to be, but could get a good draw in the quarters. Whereas uh, in the league, I, I just don't think there's enough goals in this team. And that's why I also, you know, Arsenal plays Palace. I'm betting under two and a half at plus 110. Uh, I have this projected right at two and a half. You look at, you know, the difference in Arsenal this year, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on this show, but kind of like in the in the minutiae, like what has changed? And it's been that they just aren't a very good crossing team anymore. They were really good last year in crosses in the penalty area and getting those cutback runs uh, because they were able to get Odegaard you know, those late runs, the ball progression, Jaka, we saw the first half of the season, especially he did really well in that new role, kind of getting forward. And this year, so much more of their attack has been shunted through Saka. And it's kind of left them just relying on Saka pinging crosses or beating a man. And that's been the whole team. And like you mentioned, you know, they, they've doubled him a lot and he's, you know, had a good year. He's, he's been as good as he was last year, but everybody else around him from Martinelli to Odegaard to Havertz in that role, to Jesus, all of them have not replicated what they did last season. Uh, and as a result, you're just seeing an Arsenal team, especially from open play, uh, which has just not been very good. They've been below average as an attack and XG from open play. So 
Now they play a Palace team, notoriously stingy, who is going to be shorthanded. No uh, Michael Lise now. He's hurt. We had like three games where we were like, hmm. oh, it's time to buy Palace. Uh, and then Elise got hurt, and now I use it AFCON. And he's you know been a pretty productive winger for them. And they're they're starting, you know, they have a couple options here, right? They started Mateus Franca, Franca in the uh in the FA Cup against Everton. Jeff Schlupp, I expect to start. He's not giving you much in terms of creativity and, and forward production. Uh they started Will Hughes today in, in the cup mm-hmm. alongside Eze. And then they played a two-man midfield with Richards and Lerma. I kind of think they're gonna run that back with Richards and Lerma yeah. in the midfield. Pretty good ball players, decent defenders. But again, like you're not getting any ball progression or forward passing from that midfield if it's Will Hughes, Jefferson Lerma, Chris Richards, and then it's just all on Eze. And you know, I, I the first meeting between these two teams was Eze and Edward. And Palace had 0.3 XG in an hour and ten minutes prior to the red card at home against Arsenal. And they created 0.7 of their of their expected goals all after the red card to uh Tomiyasu, which was Kind of a dodgy red to begin with, so I, I kind of like the under here. I think the total's a little inflated. Maybe Arsenal, you know, finds a bunch of goals and pounds them. But uh, given how they played this year, I think under's the way to go at, at plus money. Yeah, I agree. Um, the thing with Palace, and I think we've been seeing kind of lately, is that you know typically Roy Hodgson's you know a low block counterattacking type of manager, but since Olise has come back into the team, he's been a lot more willing to play out of the back try and play a lot of short passes to get the ball moving forward, to get the ball into Elise and Eze's feet, because that's where they're at their best. They're elite ball carriers that can really rip apart a defense with their dribbling. And they're not, you know, it's not optimal for Crystal Palace to just send long balls up to them and have them act like, you know, a, a Chris Wood or an Ashley Barnes type of striker. Like, no, you need to get the ball at their feet and going forward. So, you know, matches against... Chelsea and Brentford, Crystal Palace has played more attacking. They have played more open. But now that Elise is hurt and they're facing a team like Arsenal, like you mentioned, is struggling in terms of chance creation, I think Roy Hodgson's going to go back to his patented low block and just cut off central progression and just dare Arsenal to beat them uh, with Saka and Martinelli and double them up. So uh, I agree on the under. Um, and, you know, I mean, here's the thing with Arsenal is that even if you look back through their last few matches against you know, West Ham, Fulham, Luton Town, they've created north of two expected goals in those type of matches, and they've played really, really well offensively. But now you're facing a low block in Crystal Palace when they decide they want to play a low block and they want to play very defensive. They are really, really good in it. You know, They have given up some you know, high XG totals, but again, like I said, they've been playing more open because of Elise getting back into the roster. So. Um, I agree with you. I have this for the right to two and a half as well. So. It's just class playing more conservative under two and a half at plus 110. I think that's some value. All right. 12.30 Eastern, Brentford Forest. Guess uh, who's back? Yeah, our boy. Back good again. And uh, I, I think we have to bet him anytime goal scorer if he starts. Oh, yeah. as, oh, a, yeah. as a grouper and as a, uh, a tribute. But uh, Ivan Tony is expected to start. So I don't think they're going to sell him. I actually don't think he has that much value to like a top four team. We were talking about this uh with Matt Treby, friend of the pod, yeah, network NFL way editor. more, way more value this summer because what you have is a striker that's coming off this long of a suspension. Teams are not, and Brentford's wanting a lot of money, and rightfully so for him. Teams are not going to pay the, that amount of money for what getting necessarily an unknown with a striker who's not like twenty three, like he's getting closer to thirty. So 
Um, exactly. I also so, think he has just generally has more value to Brentford and how they play than he does to, uh, you know, an Arsenal or a team like that. And and Tony's strength, his biggest strength is that you can form an attack with a couple of players, with him being one of them, not send numbers forward, and he's able to hold up the ball effectively. He's able to uh, take on numbers and be an attack, a very efficient counterattack without having a lot of players. It's just different when you ask him to you know, operate in a team like Arsenal uh, where they're going to have all the possession and more numbers uh, in and around the penalty area defending against you know, a set defense more often than not. It just changes a lot tactically, and so I think – I'm happy Tony's staying. It looks like he is. Mm. They need him too. I mean, Godos is at the AFCON. Visa's at the AFCON. And Buemu's out till March. Uh, Onyeka's at the AFCON. So this is a Brentford team that is pretty short on attacking talent. I'm guessing it's going to be Tony and Mape, which I think is a perfectly fine attacking duo. Uh, but we've seen the, the, the concerns for Forrest here are that they have a, a ton of guys at AFCON as well. Koyate... Uh, was at AFCON, uh, then then left the team because of a personal matter. Uh, Niakate is at AFCON. Sangare is at AFCON. Willie Bali's at AFCON. That's like the core of this defensive unit uh, that are all going to be missing here. And these are two teams that just haven't been very good defensively and have had a really tough time with shot stopping and goal. If you go by post-shot expected goals this year, uh, there is some noise in the data because Forrest had uh, Vlakadimos in there for a while, and he was the worst of anybody <laughs> from 90. Yeah. Um, Turner's been below average, but not as bad. But Turner's problems have actually been with his feet. And I think, you know, the, the one thing with Turner, you know, he always put up those incredible numbers in MLS, shot stopping. He's one of the best uh, there was, but his feet were the main reason he never got that early move. And you're seeing that now where teams are kind of taking advantage of and pressing him into mistakes, including the United goal they gave up just before, uh, just after New Year's. So, both of these defenses this year, Forrest conceding one and a half XG per 90 since November 1st. Brentford conceding one and a half XG per 90. Brentford's attack is still producing like they're a, about an even XG team. If you look at their season long numbers, they're like plus 0.39 per 90. That's like top six level production. They have not been that for the majority of the season. A lot of that was built up early in the season. Since, you know, the roughly the halfway point, they've been a league average team and they're running so bad because Flecken. And goal has been the worst shot stopper in the Prem. So yeah, I think these defenses have flaws. I think Tony's back. Forrest, uh, you know, you know, without uh, Awani, I don't generally like this attack, but they've found some new things to make it work. Morgan Gibbs White's healthy and been playing much better since Nuno came in. So I like the over two and a half here. I think the total's a little low, especially given the poor quality of the shot stoppers in the goalies in this match right now. So. Uh, over two and a half minus one fifteen. I actually have this closer to two seven five, and I think it it, it should close there. Uh, I don't know that it will, because just because of the sh- sheer number of, of missing players. But uh, I do like the over. Yeah, I like Brentford here. I think this is a great buy low spot. Um, the difference that Tony makes, not only just as a goal scorer, but the profile that he has as a striker, because basically what Brentford has had to roll with is Akeem Lewis Potter, Neil Mulpai front two, which. You know, it's, it's fine if you're a below-average team in the Premier League, but given the way that Brentford plays, given the fact that they want to get the ball out wide and they want to send in crosses, like those two guys aren't really aerial threats at all. So now you add Ivan Tony, who is like one of the best aerial threat strikers in the Premier League over the last two years. It's massive for Brentford, given the style that they want to play, and you mentioned it. You know, for Nottingham Forest, 
you know, they're basically losing three of their four starters across their back line to AFCON right now. So I think we have to bet Tony on any time goal scorer, but more than anything is that, yes, Brentford has gone through this pretty, you know, this bad run here. Like they still have a positive expected goal differential through losing six out of seven. Like that's how bad they have run. So I really like the spot here for Brentford. I have them projected at minus 124. Um, and especially for Forrest, you know, Ina and Arier are at AFCON. You're losing two of your best fullbacks and defenders out wide against a team that primarily just wants to cross the ball in. So a really bad spot here for Forrest. They have switched to a 4-2-3-1 under Nuno. They've tried to play out of the back a little bit more. It's not a 3-5-2 low block that we've seen under Steve Cooper. When Brentford wants to, they can come out and press you and they can cause problems. They're really, really good at pressing in the mid block. So they can cause a lot of problems if Forrest wants to try to build out of the back against them. So um, I think a good buy low spot here for Brentford. And one thing I'll mention as well, I love Brentford 12-1 for a top half finish. Uh, not only just getting Tony back, but if you look through their injury list, you know, Kevin Shade has been injured for a long time, who was basically supposed to be Tony's replacement. He's going to come back at the beginning of February. Aaron Hickey, who has been one of their best fullbacks, is coming back at the beginning of February. And Buemo is going to be coming back at the beginning of March. Like there is a charge that Brentford can make over the second half of the season here. And obviously getting everybody back from AFCON as well once we get to the beginning of February. So they have City coming up uh, next after this one, uh, which is not optimal. But, uh, you know, if you look at some of the teams that are around them in the middle of the table, you know, teams like Wolves and Fulham, teams that have, you know, negative expected goal differentials, teams that uh, I don't really see making a big charge. And then you have obviously a team like West Ham who's sitting in the top half of the table and is just begging to go on a bad run and then fall out of it. Like Brentford could very easily make a charge here and get into the top half of the table. Um, so a price of twelve to one for a team that has a for a team that has a plus seven expected goal differential, like sitting right above the relegation zone. I'm starting to get kind of like uh, I don't know if you feel this. I'm starting to get a little bit of Brighton vibes from this Brentford team, the Brighton twenty 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 one. Um, we'll see though. But yeah, at twelve to one, I mean you're not going to find a better price on that. And obviously, you know. Who knows, Everton could get another points deduction here in a little bit. And same thing with Nottingham Forest. So, um, yeah, Brentford 12-1 for top 10, and then Brentford on the money line here, uh, minus 110. I wish they would have an answer for goalie. They haven't even tried, really. Like, Shikosha was... They tried him in the FA Cup last last match against Wolves, and it didn't really go well. I no, say that. and that's the problem. So, and, and, like, the eye test, the match that he did play against Man United, the eye test was really yeah. bad on him, too. And Lazio moved off him you know, pretty early uh, and moved on to uh, to Providell. So they knew something, makes you think at least. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of just worried. Like the goalie situation is a big issue. The way they play to concede a bunch of low quality shots and not give away big scoring chances, you need a positive shot stopper. And for years yeah. they had Raya and it didn't outrun their numbers by like crazy margins, but they're it's running so far behind them uh, that it's concerning. For me. And Flecken, that, Flecken was never a like big time negative guy at Freiburg. Like he was always right. like plus one or plus two. Like he wasn't like a he wasn't a blue average keeper. He was just very slightly above average. Which you know Freiburg plays a very ball similar ball. style to that of Brentford. So like it made sense for Brentford to to buy him. But yeah, he, I don't know what's going on. But he's been terrible. Yeah, worth going the prem, and it's killed them. Brighton and Brentford have actually you know the two teams that we love to bet on the most have uh, suffered 
poor goalkeeping after selling their keepers. So, you know, I think maybe yeah. something we, we look more into next year. I think we kind of overlook goalkeepers. I mean, obviously in small samples, we're talking 20 matches, you know, they're facing like 200 shots. It's a really small sample, but you know, maybe in the, in the, as we go forward, we should look more and, and do more work on goalkeepers. I'm going to talk about one yeah. later in the, or later in the pod who uh, is putting up some historic numbers, but mm-hmm. we move on to Sunday. Sheffield United hosting West Ham, 9 a.m. West Ham lined as a favorite here, right around plus 115 on the money line. Sheffield plus 240. Total sitting uh, two and a half, with some some small juice toward the under, minus 135. BJ, I'll let you go first here. This match is really tricky. Yeah. Because I think it's really hard to price this version of West Ham. I think it really is too, because if you look at what West Ham is losing right now, you know, the thing is, is like, we've talked about this West Ham defense at nauseum, how they try to play the slow block and they're really not effective at doing so. And that kind of, you know, the matches, you know, against Arsenal was really evident where they see it close to three expected goals, but no Paqueta, probably no Jared Bowen. Kudus is at AFCON. Who is really threatening in this attack? They played Bristol City in the FA Cup and did next to nothing. Um, they started a very, very limited attack. You know, they were basically just trying to rely on James Ward-Prowse, like, sending a cross, and, like, hopefully they could get on the end of it. But they did next to nothing because essentially what happened was is Bristol City scored inside the first five minutes, and they just sat in a low block, and they just said, like, all right, we dare you to break us down, West Ham. And they couldn't do it. So the same thing could happen here, but I have to question, is Sheffield United good enough to actually do that? Um, I'm not so sure. I actually have this projected pretty close to um, where the market has it. So uh, I'm going to pass. Um, you know, United's bringing in um, Ben Diaz, uh, you know, Chilean legend uh, from Villarreal. So maybe that helps their attack a little bit. Um, but... Yeah, this is this is too tough for me. Um, so maybe an under, but unders are always dangerous playing with Sheffield United. So I'm passing. Yeah, so here's some numbers, right? So Wilder comes in. At the time that he came into the team, you know, they were historically, historically bad. They were giving up 2.45 expected goals per match. That's over 100 goals allowed over the course of a of a full season. And since he's come in, uh, which is about the beginning of December, they're allowing about 1.5 XGA per 90. And it's not even like they played a weak schedule. I mean, they played Liverpool and they played Chelsea and they played City and they played Villa in that time frame. So they played, you know, four of the six best, seven best teams in the league in that time. And they're conceding now, you know, like I said, 1.54 XGA per 90, which is the same amount as West Ham. Mm-hmm. These two defenses since Wilder came in have been about even. And West Ham, like you said, no packets of Bowen, Antonio, Ben Rama, and Kudus. They have scored one goal in three matches since all the injuries hit, right? So they, they had the big win against Arsenal, 2-0, which they kind of stole. They didn't even have packets for that, but, you know, they won. Then they play Brighton without any of them. They don't score. They don't really even look like scoring. They had one big chance. Ball fell to, to uh, Socek, and he missed. They had uh, two shots from open play inside the penalty area against a Brighton defense, which we have talked is not, you know, particularly good. And 
you know, like a league average defense. And then they play Bristol City twice. They scored one goal in the two matches, tied the first one, 1-1. One, one. Bowen scored the first goal in the fourth minute against Bristol. Then, you know, he picks up an injury. So they essentially don't have a goal score. Unless it's a set piece, it's really hard to see how West Ham gets through here. And I think it's a cluster of injuries that make them extremely vulnerable. Like, Ariola has saved this defense to a large extent. But I find this interesting. Since, you know, I talked about the Wilder minutes only. West Ham and Sheffield had the exact same expected goal difference. You strip out penalties and red cards since Wilder took over. Minus 0.42 per 90 minutes. So, hmm. Sheffield has a rest advantage. They're catching almost a half goal at home. I'm going to bet Sheffield United in this match. Okay. I don't show any value in my numbers, but I, I think I think I'm I'm late to the party uh, on Sheffield being improved under Wilder, and I think I'm late to. Tr- I, don't, I don't think I've properly accounted. I don't know how you even properly account for just the sheer number of missing players for West Ham's attack. Uh, we're looking at like Maxwell Cornet, uh, Danny Ings, and Pablo Fornals, <laughs> guys who have yeah. not featured yep. in the Prem side all year. And there's, you know, it's like, okay, maybe Ward Prowse cooks a corner or two, like Socek or, uh, and they're also missing, Mavropanos is questionable and Aguirre is missing too. Uh, so, you know, Zuma. Obana. Like, it's just, Obana, like we've seen that pairing and it's not been yeah. very good this season. So uh, I hate this bet, but this is, yeah. this is my, my side of the week. Uh, ultimately, I think Sheffield's undervalued. I'm not sure where the bottom is on this West Ham team because at a certain point, like, they got smoked at Brighton, and they were outplayed by Bristol. That's just what they kind of yeah. are right now. They're they're priced barely above a relegation team, and I, I kind of think that they're like below average to begin with, with everybody healthy. So yeah, yeah, give me, give me the uh, the blades at home. I know Leboff would bet them if he were here. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you would. Uh, I looked at West Ham team total under one and a half. It's minus one fifty. Uh that's tempting. Yeah. Maybe maybe West Ham to not score. You chase like an alt price. It's a good way to go yeah. about this potentially. But yeah, I'm going to take Sheffield on the spread here. I think they're I think okay. they're decently live at home. All right, next game. This is the I guess the headliner of the weekend. Not really, but it's a pretty weak slate in terms of like juicy matchups. Liverpool visits Bournemouth. Hmm. Uh, when these two teams played at Anfield in like match week three or four. Liverpool closed a two-goal favorite. Bournemouth was 12-1. to They scored in the first five minutes, and they lost 3-1. Now, this version of Liverpool is a minus-145 road favorite against Bournemouth, who, from start to finish of the course of the season, I would argue, is the most improved team of the first half, uh, even more than Everton, because Everton was kind of good just to begin the season. Bournemouth the team I've probably upgraded the most from the beginning of the year to now catching just three quarters of a goal at home. BJ thoughts. I'm, I'm really intrigued by this match too. It's I am kind too, of a tricky but the market uh, didn't give us a fair, didn't give us a fun line uh, to be honest. I was kind of hoping we'd get Bournemouth at a full plus one, which I thought we were going to get. Um, and we didn't get that. So you know, obviously Liverpool is going to be without Salah, who is at AFCON. Soboslai looks like is doubtful for this match. 
But maybe more importantly is uh, Wataru Endo is out at the Asian Cup with Japan. So who has you could make an argument over this this surge that they've had has been one of their more important players, given his ball winning in the middle of the pitch. And that's something that Liverpool really lacked at the beginning. What I find fascinating, though, Liverpool, they're, what makes them so unbelievably fascinating to me is that you know, if you go to, you know, The Analyst, which is a site that you all should check out um, if you're interested in, like, you know, advanced data for the Premier League and other leagues, um, they have this chart of essentially how teams play, whether they play more direct or whether they play more slow and more possessive. And, you know, if you do the top right of the chart, it's like teams that pass the ball a lot in terms of sequences and have a high direct speed. And no teams are really ever in that little space because it's like it's hard to possess the ball so much and also just like play really, really fast. But Liverpool's doing that. So the way they're able to just play direct and play right through teams is pretty amazing right now, quite frankly. Um, are they going to be able to manipulate this Bournemouth hybrid press, which they did a very, you know, if you go back to the previous match between these two, Bournemouth got a high turnover and that's how they scored their first goal. And what happened was, is that Liverpool was playing Trent Alexander-Arnold in the middle and they were essentially, Bournemouth was overloading that part. They forced turnover and got it. Well, what happened was, is then they said, all right, we're going to move Trent out wide. And, you know, with a hybrid press, it's a, it's a mixture of man marking and zonal marking. So nobody followed Trent Alexander-Arnold. They just kind of stayed centrally and tried to limit Liverpool from progressing the ball through the middle. And they just kept getting the ball out wide and creating overloads there with Salah and now Trent. And they just destroyed Bournemouth. So are they able to do that again? Um, given the personnel that they have, they could. You know, in the in their last match against Fulham, they went with a front three of Jota, Harvey Elliott, and Luis Diaz. Um, obviously because of no, Sal- no Mo Salah. And then they did play uh, Graven Burke alongside uh, McAllister in the midfield, and obviously Curtis Jones as well. So there's no ball winning in this Liverpool midfield that can stop uh, Bournemouth. Um, so for me, it's a pass, quite frankly. I think the, the number is about right in terms of where the market is. Um, but I do worry because, you know, we've talked about Bournemouth and this, you know, wonderful run that they've been on. Well, they've been also beneficiaries of playing a, a pretty easy schedule. You know, they've beaten Palace, United, Forest, Fulham, and they lost 3-1 to Tottenham in a match that was, you know, pretty even. But, you know, they did get ripped apart for a couple uh, easy goals there for Spurs, and they did lose the XG battle. So... This is a good litmus test here for Bournemouth of like, how good are you truly? Are you the team that can compete, can compete with Tottenham, who's like a you know, top six, top seven team? Or can you, can you compete with Liverpool, one of the top teams? Can you be like a team like Brentford and Brighton and, and actually compete with the top sides? We'll see. Um, but this is a good litmus test here for Bournemouth. But ultimately, I'm right around where the market is, so I have to pass. Yeah, it's very fascinating because, you know, Bournemouth did somewhat change how they're playing a little bit. They've been playing more long balls. If you watch them against Tottenham, like, that was not Mm -hmm. a team, like, trying to play through a press. That was a team like, let's just play over the press. And they they have been effective with it. And I think it's very interesting because you talked about it, right? Like, they smushed and just kind of beat up on a lot of bad teams. But I don't care what the schedule is. If you're plus one XG difference per 90, like, that's... yep. And a 10-match sample, that's pretty remarkable for Bournemouth. So, you know, did the market overvalue them at a certain point? Maybe. Is that the case here? Maybe. But, like, 
like Liverpool goes to Fulham in the League Cup, like they're lined pretty similarly, right? And like this, I think the, the question here, this has more to do with like what is Liverpool right now, given their absences, versus Bournemouth, right? So we saw the FA the, the League Cup match against Fulham. They come out with the, with that front three, and and I'm gonna be honest, like Diaz, right now is just not really the same player. Since he's come back from the injuries, he's not been very good, not been very productive. Jota has been pretty good when he's on the pitch. But when you play no Soloboshlai, no Trent, and no Salah, that is your three of your four most creative players in terms of creating for others, not on the pitch. Trent, we all know, I mean, if you ever watched Trent play, like, yes, he's incredible in terms of his creativity, his, his connections on the wing, his ability to play balls, ping balls all over the pitch. He's one of the best creative players the Prem's ever seen. He's not going to play. And if you look at the numbers, he's averaging 0.31 XA per 90. He's completed 40 more passes into the final third than every other Liverpool player. Salah and Alexander-Arnold combined, Salah's going to lead the league in assists this year. Alexander-Arnold mm-hmm. is, this, is the second by far in passing the penalty area behind Salah. So these are the two guys that make this attack go. The third guy is Nunez. And he comes on in the 55th minute, 56th minute, and he changes the game against Fulham. He gets the assist that gets the first goal. I know he missed a couple chances, but he had four shots uh, and an assist and in 35 minutes against Fulham uh, at Anfield in the League Cup. So I think, you know, what does Klopp go with here as his front group? Because uh, I think Nunez is the key. I think without the other three guys on the pitch, it's just like kind of a mediocre attack. And defensively, the combination of Van Dijk and Kanate is elite. When just one of them is out, the fall off to the next guy is so big that I think that's where you start to see Liverpool's flaws without Endo. So uh, I am very tempted by the under here, but I think ultimately this one's a stay away for me. I'm excited to watch Bournemouth against like a big, big team, a true top talent, to see like if this long ball approach is effective uh, in attack. And and I, you know, defensively, this is not the best test because Liverpool uh, is shorthanded, but it will certainly tell us more than uh, the match against Fulham or uh, will, will tell us. So excited for this one, but I, I don't have a bet here. It's a pass for me. And for what it's worth, you know, the last 10 matches, Bournemouth plus 0.89 XG difference per 90, Liverpool plus 1.15. They've actually been the, the top four in the last 10 matches. You know, we talked about the schedule caveats, but City, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Bournemouth have been the four best teams in the Prem in the last 10 matches. So that's a fun one. Excited for it. Uh, I think it'll be a good match. Brighton and Wolves, Monday night football to round it out. It actually pains me to say that I was playing guess the lines with Trebi on, on Monday uh, and, I, and I had it up next to my projected number and I projected Brighton at minus 152. They are lined at minus 153 at Bet365 as you record this. Uh, I'm kind of just like in line with the market. And uh, the total. Do you want to, you want to know what I have Brighton at? Uh, 151. Minus 153. There you go. So, so I've got it at 152. You've got it at 153. Bet365 has it at minus 153. I don't show value on any of the three-way sides here. I have no particularly strong opinion on either club as it currently presents. Total sitting at three, which is right where I think it should be. I thought maybe it would open high, but it didn't. So for me, I mean, I have nothing on this. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything on this either. It's 
it's difficult, right? Because Brighton is, we talk about how much depth they have in their attack, and they do. But not having, you know, Adingra, Mitoma, Fati, uh, even and CISO hasn't been available forever. Like, just not having all those guys, even Sally March, just not having all those guys available, just, it does have an effect on how Brighton can, you know, attack. Like, they still are very, very good, but they, the level that they can reach with those guys available is is pretty high up there. Um, so, they're going to face another low block here, and that's what they've been facing all season long. Like, Gary O'Neill is going to set his team up to just sit in a low block. Now, Wolves is going to be a little limited as well. Like they're not, they're going to be without Jao Gomez, who's been one of their better midfielders um, all season, really good ball winner. Um, him and Mario Lamina have been a really, really good tandem. Um, so not having one of those is going to be um, tough. Obviously, Huang is off to uh, AFCON, um, but, or excuse me, AFCON, Asian Cup, sorry. He's representing South Korea, which is not in Africa. Um, so there goes your you know most potent goal scorer, uh, and you know Brighton has been better at defending in transition. So I think like, I have this right around where the market has it. If anything, maybe a little bit on the over. But again, if you account for Huang not being there and how limited Brighton is in terms of what the level they can be in their attack, I have to pass, and it sucks because I really want to bet Monday Night Football because it sounds like a lot of fun. Like this is a really fun match to find out where these two teams are. And the thing about Wolves is as great of a job as Gary O'Neill has done, like they are still a like minus six expected goal differential team in the Premier League. Like they're not, they're not this, you know, a team like Brentford or Everton that, you know, we talk about with, you know, so fondly, like their underlying metrics are still not that great. Um, so that's why they're minus one, you know, 53 at that three, six, five right now. So uh, for me, it's a pass, um, but just very interesting to see. Brighton's another team that could make the top four charge, because if you look at where their injury situation is right now, all those attackers I just mentioned are coming back right at the beginning of February. So they're going to have everybody at their disposal and they could really charge up the table. And that fourth spot in the Premier League is, let's just say, I think is wide open because I don't really trust. Yeah, I, agree. I don't really trust Aston Villa to hold on to the position that they're in. I think the, the top three spots of City, Arsenal, Liverpool are pretty much set. It's just who's going to get, who's going to get to that fourth spot. It's, it's going to be, and I know one of these teams is going to make a charge, you know, whether it be, I don't, you know, Newcastle is completely broken, so it's probably not going to be them. But if, you know, Tottenham getting healthy, Brighton, United's starting to fall off, like there, there is a decent shot here for Brighton to get into a, a top four position, which I think they're nine to one, I believe right now, uh, to get into the top four. So maybe wait uh, a week or so. Um, on that one until they actually get everybody back and available, but we'll see. But yeah, nothing for me on this match. Yeah, they really could use those two points against West Ham that they definitely should yeah. have gotten in one instead of three. Uh, that'll conclude the Prem. The Prem will be off next weekend, so we will not touch on it Wednesday, but they do have a midweek to conclude January midweek slate, and then it gets hot and heavy for the Prem pretty much for the rest of the season. So uh, the January period, it's been a weird month. You know, we're all betting AFCON, sweating out Zambia, as we record this podcast, it's um, not going well either. We're getting pumped. DJ, we're going to talk Afcon. <laughs> let's do Afcon now, actually. Yeah, it's been an interesting start to the tournament. Um, you know, I, I think everything has kind of gone status quo, except for Nigeria creating seven billion expected goals and not scoring against Equatorial Guinea. 
uh, missed five big scoring chances against them. So that was fun one uh, to start off on uh, Saturday. But, you know, going forward, you know, everything is kind of aligning with how I kind of pictured it in the beginning, which, you know, it's good after one match week. But for the first round of matches, we'll see what happens after the second one. But if you want a couple early looks, you know, if, you know, me and Anthony are always in the Action Network Discord soccer channel. I've been... Uh, you know, giving out anything on, you know, looks that I have early in AFCON. So if you want any early looks for that, you can, you know, be in the Action Network Discord. But I'll give out a couple right here for the next round of matches. Uh, Nigeria Ivory Coast is playing Thursday at 12 Eastern time. Um, that's a great, great match. And I love Nigeria plus a half in that one. They've they've switched uh, to basically a four four two, And they've said, hey, like, we're not good enough in the midfield defensively to play expansive, like, free-flowing football. So let's just play low-block counterattacking and try to beat teams in transition, which really is good for the personnel they have with the, the pace that they have going forward and to allow them to have the second-best expected goal differential over the last two years in Africa. So I know Ivory Coast is at home, but the Ivory Coast attack is extremely limited right now. They have a great midfield and a great defense, but if you look at the front three that they played against Guinea-Bissau, it's nowhere near some of these other type teams in Africa. I love Mali again. Uh, against Tunisia. Uh, the Tunisian team is very, uh, it's not the team that you saw at the World Cup. Like, it's, it's it's extremely limited. They don't have any of, like, the key players that they had at the World Cup. It's just a lot of guys that are playing either in Tunisia or not really playing in one of Europe's top five leagues. So uh, the market is pricing this Tunisian team like the team that was at the World Cup, and they are just not. And Mali looked great against South Africa, so um, predicted them as a pretty sizable favorite. So I like them. And then, um, I was going to take Morocco against uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo because, uh, you know, the DR Congo is a very interesting team because they they have all this talent, you know, Chancel Mbemba, um, Yon Wisa, to name a few guys, you know, comparatively to a lot of those mid-teams in Africa, like that's that's a lot of talent. Um, but their underlying metrics have just been garbage over the last two years. Like they're like a minus three expected goal differential, but they are currently giving it to Zambia right now. Um, so I have to sit back and say, Hey, well, you know what? I was wrong. Uh, so I'm not going to be playing them. Um, but I do like Zambia against, um, uh, Tanzania who got beat pretty badly by Morocco today. Tanzania's best defender got a red card. Um, so they're going to be very limited in their defense and projected Zambia at around even money in there. And you can get them like, you know, plus 140 right now. So, um, those are the three matches that I like for the next round of of AFCON and no real strong looks in the Asian Cup. We'll hopefully get some better matches as we get to the round of sixteen. Um but again, you know, you just have you really want to lay it with like Japan minus two and a half and South Korea. Like it's just it's it's not that fun betting in the Asian Cup right now. Um but AFCON's been a joy as always and uh, I'm looking forward to the next round. Yeah, I might bet some Cameroon against Senegal. We'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. Personally, I was intrigued by Cameroon. Uh, we talked about Senegal kind of being overvalued uh, coming into this tournament. And like you said, you know, we're going from 24 to start the tournament down to 16. So the tournament doesn't really get cooking until the knockouts. Yeah. Uh, but Molly's, Molly's the team that BJ's riding with. I know I think he also bet Morocco. Yeah, I, so the futures I have right now are Nigeria 11-1, to 1, uh, Mali 25-1, to 1, and then I have a parlay of uh, Morocco and Japan, the two favorites to win their respective tournament, which I think pays around 18 to one. So those are the three futures that I have right now. Um, I haven't looked at the current uh, market prices in terms of, you know, Conor Asian Cup, but I assume they're somewhere around uh, 
similar to those numbers that you got predetermined. So if you want to hop in now, you can probably still get that parlay at 15 to 1. Yeah, that has not been a seismic event yet. No, as we not really. I mean, it's just status quo. Although Japan um, did concede twice against Vietnam, so maybe we got to sound, sound the alarm bells. Who knows? All right, let's move on. We got you got some Germany and some Spain. Let's go to Germany first. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen did it again. They scored in the ninety yep. fourth minute. They did it. I was going to cash an Osberg ticket. Didn't really deserve it necessarily. I mean, you know, net net one nil, probably a fair result. Uh, Leverkusen deserving to win, but I'm coming back to fade them again. Leipzig draw no bet minus one twenty at home. Uh, to put a perspective, just how much the market has changed on these two teams. This is the rematch of the first match week in Germany. So this is match week eighteen. Now we reset the cycle. Leipzig and Leverkusen played at Leverkusen. The line was a pick'em in week one, match week one. Now it's uh, at Leipzig, a pick'em. And we've talked a lot about Leipzig. They've been a very fascinating team to kind of track throughout the year because uh, I was quickly downgrading them, downgrading them and saying, you know, this underlying numbers is really has not been particularly impressive and they're outperforming their numbers by a ton. And they were running super hot to begin the season. And the exact opposite has happened now where the last, you know, five, six, seven matches, they've gotten back to that level that we expected of Rosa and Leipzig. And yet they've underperformed in the last, you know, six, seven, eight matches where they dropped points in four of uh, four of their last eight in the Bundesliga, despite not playing particularly worse. Uh, and now I'm kind of just thinking, well, maybe I should have just not overreacted too much to the first part of the season when they were worse. They did have a lot of changes in their personnel, losing, uh, you know, some key guys. So, they're kind of learning to play with this new team. And right now, if you just go by season long expected goal differential and you take out penalties, uh, these two teams are really not all that different. Uh, If you go back and you include the data just from the second half of the season from last year, when Leipzig uh, and Leverkusen both kind of established themselves as the clear better team compared to Dortmund, these two teams like Leverkusen has been like a tick or two better factor in home field though and i i make leipzig a more solid favorite at home um so I, i'm gonna take leipzig draw no bet minus 120 uh this market should be a little bit more skewed toward leipzig I, I think they should be laying about a quarter here so the fact that they're only laying you know like a tenth of a goal puts me on leipzig at home in the uh the top spiel of the german weekend yeah speaking of dortmund I actually like them on the road against Cologne this weekend, which is not a bet that I'm particularly uh, excited about. But this has more to do with Cologne than it does to has to do with Dortmund. So, so first off, you know Dortmund is obviously getting Sancho and Matson, uh, just two great additions um, for them and their offense. Uh, you know, if they've been rolling with you know Malin and Fulcrum uh, front two, which has been you know around 0.4 xG per 90 minutes, which is fine. Like it's not not horrible, uh, but it's also not great. Um, but this Cologne team has completely fallen off a cliff. You know, if you remember last season, this was a very underrated team that uh, underperformed their underlying metrics. They were actually a 1.14 non-penalty XG per 90-minute defense. Like, they were really good. And now this season, they're allowing over two non-penalty expected goals per 90 minutes. So what what happened? Like, what 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 changed now? Well, Elias Shakiri left in the summer for Frankfurt. He was just a complete engine room, ball-stopping midfielder, one of the best in Germany, 135 tackles plus interceptions. That was third best in Germany. They also lost Jonas Hector to retirement. He was even more important to their back line, 151 tackles plus interceptions. That was the most in the Bundesliga. So you're losing two of the top three ball-stoppers from last season in Germany, and they have done nothing to replace them. 
So teams are just playing right through them. And now they're sitting in the relegation zone with a minus 16.6 expected goal differential. It is really, really bad right now. So I projected Dortmund North to minus 200. I'm not fond of their defense. Their defense is terrible. They, they can't really stop anybody through the middle of the pitch. But given the way, given the attacking talent they have in their offense, like their offense is still top five in pretty much every category that matters. So at minus 135, I think you're getting a little bit of value on Dortmund here. I don't like the road form either, but I mean, this is this Cologne team, it, if not the worst, the second worst team in, the, in Germany by a pretty wide margin. So um, Dortmund minus 135 on the road. And this will, I'm sure, will not go uh, badly for me. Yeah, I mean, Dortmund and Mainz have kind of been the tale of two stories, right? They're both on 11 points. They both have terrible goal differentials. But Mainz have just kind of run bad. There's no run bad in the Cologne numbers. They are that bad. Um uh, and like you said, you know, they have not really had like a consistent goal score either. Ever since selling Modest, they've struggled for goals. Mm-hmm. And they got away with it because the defense and the midfield were pretty good. Now they're just not. So, yeah, yeah leading goal scorer, five goals. Kind of uh, shocking that uh, Schultz has kept his job. But nevertheless. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how he's he kept it at this point. It's just the hat. You can't fire a guy that yeah, looks that good. Yeah, you can't fire the hat. That's that right. Hat. He uh, also looks like a very difficult person to uh, – deliver bad news to. Yes, for sure. Uh, so Syria, uh, you love, you love these f- previously overvalued. Now you're buying low on them. Oh as yeah. Clubs. Team. You're, you're mean, rolling with Juventus. I mean, who doesn't love Allegri ball, right? I mean, it's so fun to watch. I like um, you made a lot of money on Allegri ball this year. I know I have actually made quite I've been sitting on the sidelines. Just kind um, of yeah. It's, it's, I mean, really what it is, is just Juventus is like, maybe the best defensive team in all of Europe right now, maybe outside of Arsenal and City, 0.67 non-penalty XG per 90 minutes because they're just, they're elite and they're low defensive block. And this is something we mentioned last season. They're allowing the second most final third entries in Serie A, which is crazy for a team that's in second place. But they're only letting teams into their penalty area 17, about 17% of the time once they end the final third. Like that is that is elite, elite type stuff in terms of defending your penalty box. And that's why they're only allowed 11 goals all season long. And what has made them a lot better, though, especially this season, is that Vlahovic has had a offensive resurgence. You know, he's at a 0.62 XG per 90 minute scoring rate. That is second best in Serie A behind only uh, Lutero Martinez at Inter. And obviously having Chiesa healthy as well. Because, you know, obviously Juventus wants to be a more direct team. They're not a team that wants to build out of the back and play slow possession. Like, they want to play more direct. And Chiesa is an unbelievable direct threat to deliver balls to Vlahovic. And they're facing a Lecce team that, honestly, I loved last season. But similar to, like I said with Cologne, like they're, they've just completely fallen off a cliff. And what's happened is, is they were this elite pressing team that was great at disrupting build-up play. And they're still very high and very good in pass for defensive action. They're second, actually, in Serie A. But when the press doesn't hit home, they are getting torched in transition, allowing close to one and a half XG per 90 minutes, second highest expected threat in Serie A. So for a team like Juventus that doesn't want to build out of the back, they want to play transition. They're just going to send the ball over the top of the press. This is a really bad situation here for Lecce. So um, I projected Juventus at minus 172. So best pricing you can find right now is minus 134. So I think there's some value on Allegri ball. Yeah, and I'm going to bet Udinese again. I think yes, I've bet them every I week too, by the way. month. 
Uh, Udinese has 12 draws this season. They're like uh, the Ted Lasso in year two at AFC Richmond. Yeah. Uh, all, the, all they can do is draw. And it's kind of funny. I mean, so they've, they've built up this really extreme profile. They're, they're plus a half against Milan. They have the lowest possession rate in the league. And I actually think it's correlated, right? So, you know, when they play worse teams, they're not very good in possession and thus they struggle to get margin. And, and when they are playing better teams, they're very comfortable out of possession and nothing happens in their matches. Therefore, they've had so many draws. This team is averaging 1.15 XG per 90. And you would hear that and say, man, they really stink. It's actually like 11th in Italy. Yeah. Because Italy has been just diabolical. It's way down. For years, they used to lose money on unders in Serie A. And uh, this year, I wish I had been betting as many as I used to because they have gone under, 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 over and over and over again. The average shot quality is way down in the league. All of this has just created kind of like a lowing, lower scoring environment, which is what enables a mid-table team to have 12 draws in 20 matches. and. Milan this year, not only have they had five penalties, Udinese's had the most penalties conceded in the Prem, so when, or in, in Serie A. So when you take out the penalties from their defensive numbers, they're actually one of the best defenses in the league. Uh, so they've been a good defensive side from open play. Milan, like Liao's shot numbers are way down. His ball progression and carrying remains very good, but they're getting fewer shots from Giroud and Liao. Pulisic's been running hot and, and scoring goals and doing a bunch for them. He's been a good addition, but they are not a consistent team. They've set, they've, they've had real defensive regression from what they used to be under Pioli, and I think it makes them more dangerous uh, to get picked off here. And so on the road, I like Udinese at home. Backing them again, we had them against uh, Fiorentina. We had them against uh, Bologna. Now I'm backing them against uh, Milan as well. I just love this team as a dog, and I think they're they're very live to. Uh, Probably end up in a draw. Shit, you made me just bet the draw. But uh, I do like the plus half. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to Spain. Uh, La Liga, best bets. BJ, it's a battle of two of the worst teams by the table in the league. Yeah. And you're, you're fading uh, Cadiz. I tried betting them one time. They got, they got absolutely smoked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were right to not bet them and told me I shouldn't bet them, and I didn't. I didn't listen, and I was wrong. So tell me why I should bet against them now. And uh, probably lose again. Well, it's, it's our boys from Alaves, right? Who are you know the only team in the bottom half of La Liga with an actual expected, a positive uh, expected goal differential because of how good they are defensively. I mean, they are number one in La Liga, non penalty expected goals allowed. Like, think about that. Like, how good that is comparatively to a lot of the defenses that they have around them. Um, they'll be at home on it's the Friday afternoon one as well. So if you're looking for some action on a Friday, uh, Cadiz. Dead last in shots, dead last in box entries, dead last in final third entries, dead last in progressive passes and dribbles. It's uh, it's a very, very bad offense. Um, and they are the biggest split team in terms of road versus home performance. They actually have a positive expectable differential at home. They actually are okay there. But away from home, they have the worst expectable differential in La Liga. It's around minus 14. While Alaves at home has performed very, very admirably, plus 5.1. So um, I predicted Alaves closer to minus 150. So best price you can find out there is minus 125 um, for what is still the best defensive team, a team that has only allowed 7.8 expected goals in nine home matches against a Cadiz team that in 10 road matches has barely created six expected goals. So... Um, Love Alaves, minus 125. 
Yeah, and I like Rio minus 105 at home against Las Palmas. I think it's the peak of the market on Las Palmas where they're being priced basically an even to Rio, which we don't think they are. Uh, but they're getting some historically good goalkeeper production, um, which has carried them to this top half team. I mean, they're dead last in XG4 uh, and they're bottom five uh, in a lot of defensive metrics, but they're making it work because Alvaro uh, Vias has been like lights out. And it's not even just that he's elite in shot stopping, right? So he was plus four uh, goals saved two years ago, plus four last year in the second division. They come up, now he's plus 10 this season, which is insane. <laughs> in half a year, he saved them over 10 goals. He's yeah. also good at claiming crosses. He sweeps well. Uh, I am shocked that he's still here, and I don't think he will be very long because I think all of the top clubs are going to come calling, uh, any of the smart ones at least. Especially Barca, Real Madrid, you know, Atleti has O'Block, but uh, you know he's mid twenties, so he's not exactly a young guy. But all these top teams really should be calling, especially ones that have goalkeeper questions uh, at the top. You know, maybe like Brentford. Neuer's getting old. I mean, should even Brentford, yeah. Um, So I'm expecting a move for him, but right now, I mean, he's putting up some ridiculous numbers. Uh, Only the three relegation teams have been worse than Las Palmas off the island. They're minus 0.8 XG difference per 90. Again, they just get bailed out because they're goalie. As good as he is, there's a limit to how much you can really run this good. And so uh, I think we're at the peak of the market on them. I like Rio at home, uh, right around even money. They're playing Girona right now, getting their butts kicked in the Copa del Rey. But I like Rio coming back to the capital uh, at home. So give me Rio. That'll do it. We're not going to do an underdog parlay. Uh, if I had to pick one, it would be Udinese at home against Milan, um, maybe Sheffield. But uh, Leboff is not here. He'll be back. We'll do the underdog parlay. We'll, we'll, we'll resume that next week. That will do it for this episode of Wonder Goal. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bet365. We'll be back on next Wednesday to preview the European slate. It should be another uh, shorter episode because there's no Prem. And then the Prem will be back again the following Sunday. So thanks to BJ for joining me. Thanks to the listeners. Be sure to like, review, subscribe, tell a friend. And uh, thank you again. To the, uh, for listening to Wonder Goal and uh, go bees. Welcome back, Ivan Tone. Action Network reminds you please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24 7 at 1 800 Gambler.